live look at City Hall tonight, and with just days until a civic election, sad news about an incumbent councillor. Good evening. We begin with breaking news tonight. Word of the passing of Ward 23 Scarborough North Councillor Cynthia Lai. CTV's Zoraida Ullman joins us with the details. Zoraida. Michelle, Cynthia Lai's campaign manager confirming the news to CTV News in a statement this afternoon, saying the Ward 23 councillor was surrounded by family at the hospital when she died. A statement from Mayor John Tory's office reads in part, for the last four years, Cynthia represented the people of Ward 23 Scarborough North with such elegance and distinction. She was such a friendly and warm presence at City Hall, and I know I speak for her City Council colleagues when I say she will be deeply missed. Now, prior to becoming a City Councillor, Lai became the first Chinese-Canadian woman elected as president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. Tory's statement goes on to say that she was proud of her heritage, of her family, her achievements in business, and her tremendous work for the community as a volunteer for many charitable causes and in politics. Cynthia Lai was on the ballot for re-election on Monday. And no further details have been released at this time around the circumstances surrounding her death. Lai leaves behind her husband and two adult children. The family has asked for privacy at this time. The mayor's office says flags at City Hall, Metro Hall and the Toronto Civic Centres, including the Scarborough Civic Centre, will be lowered to half-mast in honour of Councillor Cynthia Lai. I'm Zoraida Allman. Nathan, back to you. All right. Thank you, Zoraida. You can get all the up-to-date information on this breaking news story on our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. And Zerada will return later tonight with more coverage on CTV News Toronto at 11.30. Turning to the race itself now, the clock is ticking for candidates to get out their messages and for people to make up their minds. Throughout the GTA, there are some common issues voters want addressed. CTV's Allison Hurst joins us now with more. Allison. We've been talking to voters here in Scarborough and hearing a wide variety of key issues, everything from tackling the affordability crisis to getting around the city. Christina Persaud and Sean Stiles want to see action from their next municipal government. They promise so much and they give so little. Their key issue, affordable housing, a top issue for many in the area. Persaud says with food and gas prices sky high, the next government needs to make significant change. Everything is just going way, way up and it just needs to stop because not everybody can afford it. Me being myself, I know I can't afford it. A lot of people are on the streets now because they can't afford like, the rent and some people got to, like, doing like two or three jobs just to afford rent. What Ron Flojo is fuming about? Gridlock faced on daily commutes. Hard to go to work and hard to do errands, things like that. He has a four-year-old son and says construction plagues the city. Construction everywhere, yeah. They should uh, uh, make it better, construction, uh, or make it more organized. Nick Cipollone says the key to getting around easier isn't better highways, it's improving transit. How long has this LRT been going on for? To actually have like our money spent well and municipalities just having like more local public transit would be good as well. Just more developed there. Polls are open from 10 to 8 Monday and voters must cast their ballots in their wards. While the mayoral's race really has one key frontrunner, there are a number of other seats worth looking at. Incumbent Michael Thompson is seeking re-election here in Scarborough Centre Ward 21, while also facing two sexual assault charges. And there are a number of open seats up for grabs in Spadina, Fort York and University Rosedale. So there will be some new faces at City Hall. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Allison. 
If you're voting in Toronto on Monday, election locations will be open from 10 in the morning until 8 at night. If you're hoping to avoid crowds, officials say off-peak hours will likely be between 11 and 3. Eligible voters are being asked to bring their information cards and ID showing their name and address. If you've got any questions about where, when, or how to vote, full details are available at toronto.ca slash myvote. And on Monday, tune in for Your Vote, the election night special. It airs on CP24 at 7 o'clock. It's also available on cp24.com and ctvnewstoronto.ca. And we'll recap the night on CTV News at 11.30 with Zoraida Allman. Barely old enough to vote, but aiming to become Canada's youngest mayor. Still ahead, we'll introduce you to the teen vying for Oakville's top job. And there's a live look at the city tonight and a welcome warm-up after such a chilly few days. Will this stick around for Election Day and Diwali? Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay. Well, Nathan, it looks like this new pattern that we've entered into will, in fact, stick around. So there's some good news. Don't want to give away your entire weekend forecast, but I do want to say there is more where today came from. Plenty of sunshine. We have, however, had very windy, uh, strong winds today out of the south, gusting to around 50 kilometers per hour. You mentioned the temperatures. Look at this. It is 17 degrees right now in Halton Hills, in Hamilton, and in Welland, along with at Toronto Pearson International. Sunshine. Now it's just starting to set tonight. We're looking at a not so low low of 11 degrees. Lots of great weather conditions to look forward to over the next couple of days. We'll take you through the seven day forecast coming up. But for now, Nathan, I'm going to send it back to you. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. A special day for dozens of members of Toronto's police service. A ceremony elevating them to constable before friends, family and well-wishers. The event comes on the heels of a tragic few weeks for police in this province. But as our Andrew Brennan explains, the honour of the job is as much about family as it is about duty. These graduates marched into the gym as recruits and left as Toronto police constables. In some cases, generations of police families sharing in the moment together. So you're John Maidley? Yes, I am. And you are? John Maidley. And you are? John Maidley. And John Maidley. John Maidley. <laughs> Three generations of Toronto police, with a hopeful fourth standing by. Oh, it's the proudest day of my life. I'm ready to go. I'm excited. I'm so happy I get to share the moment with these two. It's amazing. And John Madeley II was able to gift something very personal to his grandson, John Madeley IV, on this day, his old badge number, just about. And I wanted to pass it on to him, but they can't because of pension purposes. So I contacted the chief, who I used to be his boss, and I asked for what they could do. And so he said, you can add a number one in front of it. 88 new police officers from many different walks of life, from 21 to 49 years old, speaking over a half dozen languages, some with college diplomas and one with a PhD in forensic psychology, wanting to help the force confront systemic racism. I felt that for me, I needed to put my boots on the ground and I had to put my money where my mouth was when it came to advocacy. Four police officers around Toronto have been killed in the past five weeks, something John Tory and Interim Chief James Raymer say, even on such a happy day, is a reminder of the perils of this work, something that families know full well. It's always going to be at the back of my mind, but I think that's where it should stay. Otherwise, we cannot go forward in life. They understand the, fa the fact that it's a dream. Uh, they understand the fact that 
we, as a police officer, you're there to protect people. There's definitely the reality sets in, especially with the, uh, the unfortunate incidents in the past month or so. Um, but uh, I wouldn't change the fact that I'm here. Um, I'm excited to get on the road and, and make the difference I've always wanted to make all my life. Addressing the force's latest constables, Chief Raymer did say that this job does have terrible costs and sacrifices, but he also said that there are some powerful rewards, such as serving and being part of this police family. Andrew Brennan, CTV News. Brampton police are working tonight to find the driver behind a hit and run that sent a woman to hospital. The collision also had people in the neighborhood angry about what they say is an ongoing problem. CTV's Austin Delaney is in that area tonight with more. Austin. Well, this happened about 7 o'clock this morning. It was still dark outside. A woman was crossing at the stop signs behind me at that intersection. A truck came by, didn't stop at the stop sign, struck her, and then kept going. What we learned today, though, a lot of drivers keep going. It only takes a few minutes for our camera to capture a car blow through the stop sign. The same stop sign a truck blew through this morning, striking a pedestrian crossing the street. Just heard the thump of, of what happened up there. Thomas Kudich's brother ran outside. He did come in, uh, grabbed a blanket for her so she would stay warm until the, uh, the ambulance arrived. The driver did not stop to help the injured woman. No, I think people just take their chances and they think, well, you know what, if uh, I leave the scene of the, uh, of the crime and uh, no one's going to find me. We catch another sailing through the stop sign, this time a van. Neighbors say the stop sign here at the corner of Dearborn Boulevard and Dorchester Drive in Brampton is routinely ignored. They speed through it anytime, all through the day, all through the night. And another. In just three hours, three vehicles not slowing down, blasting through the stop sign. Today, investigators collected pieces of the dark truck that sped through this morning, striking the woman as she crossed the street. Certainly investigators, um, you know, they do take any kind of debris, evidence that's left on the scene, and they do process that. And, and sometimes it's like a jigsaw puzzle, but eventually, uh, most of the time, they're able to put that together. And, uh, and eventually that will probably happen in this case as well. They will identify the make and model of the truck and with the help of security video in the neighborhood, possibly a license plate number. And investigators are asking anybody who might have some dash cam viz or security viz to give them a call. The woman was rushed to Sunnybrook Hospital. She has a broken leg and some head injuries. She's going to be okay. Reporting live, I'm Austin Delaney. Good to hear. Thank you, Austin. Turning to Toronto streets, and there will be little chance for drivers to speed along Adelaide. The downtown artery is getting a facelift, but until the new look arrives, you can expect a lot of furrowed brows. CTV's John Musselman joins us live from the city's core with details on this new round of construction. John. Well, Nathan, uh, anyone who drives downtown knows it can be a problem on any given day, but things will get worse here on Adelaide, and it'll last right into the spring. If you use Adelaide Street to access downtown, brace yourself for delays starting on Monday. The city says construction on this busy one-way street will last until spring. It will affect different sections at different times, and it will stretch from Bathurst to Parliament. The dust is okay, but the noise is a problem all the time in this area, and will be worse. I live at Adelaide and Spadina, so it's not convenient for me, especially that they're, they're already doing construction um, between Brant and Spadina on Adelaide. My God, much longer way longer. People could be looking at this for a good three years. Here's a look at some of the work. Improved roadway on Adelaide Street from Spadina Avenue to York Street. 
reinstating streetcar tracks on Adelaide Street from Charlotte to York Street, relocating the cycle track on Adelaide Street from Bathurst Street to Parliament Street to the north side of the street, and upgrading pedestrian infrastructure at various locations along Adelaide Street from Spadina to York. The city needs to upgrade critical water, road and cycling infrastructure in advance of the new Ontario subway line. The 15-stop extension will run from Exhibition Place along Queen Street right up to the Ontario Science Centre. For businesses on Adelaide, it will mean traffic in some areas will be reduced to one lane and cyclists will have to share the roadway with motorists. Next year it's going to be difficult going back and forth because it's one of the only ways to go west without going way up north. The many of dust and dirt and everything. There is already congestion here with numerous condos going up. The city is urging drivers to avoid this route unless the destination is on Adelaide. Pedestrian access will remain open so people can access local businesses. And again, city officials say some of this work will begin on Monday. Uh, the target date to complete it is the spring. Morning Live, I'm John Musselman. I'll send it back to you. Thank you, John. Across the pond, the UK's Conservative Party is choosing another new leader after Liz Truss resigned as Prime Minister. That's despite calls from some MPs and members of the public for a general election. The fact that they think that people will accept a third Prime Minister in two months is just not on. I mean, it's difficult. I don't think there's a way out of this. A general election causes more uncertainty. A lack of general election is, um, is thoroughly undemocratic. Whoever succeeds Liz Truss as Conservative leader will take over as PM. Potential frontrunners include former Finance Minister Rishi Sunak, House Leader Penny Mordaunt, and there are even reports Boris Johnson could launch another run for his old job. The city of Ottawa has named a new police chief. This comes as the Emergencies Act inquiry focuses on the police response to the convoy protest last winter. CTV's Kevin Gallagher has more. With the Ottawa police facing intense scrutiny for its handling of the so-called Freedom Convoy, the city appointed a new police chief, Eric Stubbs, now tasked with addressing a growing list of concerns with the force. One meeting does not gain trust. Uh, one action does not gain trust. You have to, um, over many months, you, you build that trust and that credibility. The former RCMP assistant commissioner was most recently in command of operations in British Columbia. Mayoral candidate Catherine McKenney is concerned with the timing of his appointment only three days before a municipal election. This city lost trust in its national institutions, its civic municipal institutions, and, and in, in its policing. And... This is not the way to build back that trust. It also comes before the commission examining the use of the Emergencies Act has heard from Ottawa's interim chief, Steve Bell, or former chief, Peter Slowly. According to testimony, Ottawa's police force was rife with infighting and disorganization during the three-week anti-mandate protest. They were in crisis mode. And in crisis mode, they, I did not feel that they were using the intelligence to look at the broader event to see about how they could dismantle this event peacefully. The Ottawa police failed to have a contingency plan if the protesters didn't leave after the first weekend and then struggled to coordinate with the Ontario Provincial Police when it desperately needed more boots on the ground. 
Retired OPP Chief Superintendent Carson Party told the inquiry, then Chief Peter Slowly felt people within the provincial government were trying to sabotage him. He had sources in the ministry that were letting him know that, you know, people wanted him to fail. And I just assured him that, well, we're not those. We're here to help. Today, party testified plans to break up the protest were delayed because of confusion within Ottawa's police force. Still, the retired OPP officer maintains the occupation could have ended without the use of the Emergencies Act. Kevin Gallagher, CTV News, Ottawa. Also out of Ottawa, a controversial new federal law targeting handguns is now in effect. The regulation is part of the Fed's plan to curb a recent spike in crime across the GTA and throughout Canada. But as our Sean Lethong reports, some critics point out the measure may do more harm than good. The clampdown on guns in Canada has taken a major step. From today forward, it is no longer legal to buy, sell, or transfer a handgun in Canada. In British Columbia today, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, along with Minister of Public Safety Marco Mendicino, announcing that the national handgun freeze has taken effect. It prohibits the sale, purchase, and transfer of handguns in Canada. The goal, according to the government, is to limit violent crime. The number of handguns in Canada has increased by 70% since 2010. Since 2011, Firearms-related homicides have gone up nearly 40%, and handguns were the most commonly used weapon. I don't see a handgun freeze making any difference in violent crime. Former OPP commissioner and security expert Chris Lewis says that this legislation will hurt more than help. It punishes people who are legitimate handgun owners and want to buy a new gun. They can't now. It hurts legitimate businesses in Canada that can't bring guns in anymore. Some authorized businesses can still sell to some other businesses, but not the general public. Those with exemptions include anyone who already holds a permit and individuals who train, compete, or coach a handgun shooting discipline. Lewis says that incidents involving a gun that was legitimately imported to Canada remain extremely rare, and he says guns are rarely stolen from legitimate owners in Canada. But I do know it's 90% and up that are smuggled handguns from the United States are used in crime in Canada. Lewis says the focus should be placed on the border. Sean Lee Thong, CTV News. In Washington, the committee investigating the January 6th riots has officially sent a subpoena to former U.S. President Donald Trump. The letter to Trump says it has overwhelming evidence Trump personally orchestrated a multi-part effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election and obstruct the peaceful transition of power. The Congressional Committee wants both documents and testimony from Trump. It's not clear if he'll comply, but he has dismissed the committee as a, quote, laughingstock in the past. Longtime Trump ally Steve Bannon was sentenced to four months in prison today for defying a similar subpoena. He's been freed pending appeal. Ukraine's president is warning of a potential disaster as Russian forces are pushed out of more occupied areas. Ukrainian troops have been advancing on Kyrgyzstan as part of an ongoing counteroffensive to Moscow's invasion. Vladimir Zelensky says Russian soldiers have planted explosives inside a nearby dam and they may blow it up. And that could, cause, that could flood a major part of southern Ukraine. Zelensky is urging the West to warn the Kremlin against doing so. Russia has accused Ukraine of having its own plans to destroy the dam. Kherson was one of the regions Russia claimed as part of its own territory last month. 
But with Ukrainian forces approaching, occupation officials are continuing evacuations. 50 to 60,000 civilians are set to leave the area over the next six days. Authorities linked to the Kremlin reported four people were killed in a Ukrainian strike on a ferry crossing. Coming up, he's now finally old enough to vote and casting a ballot for himself. Meet the Oakville teen vying to become mayor on a mission to get young people to partake in democracy. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up, it's Feedback Friday. Viewers had a lot to say about batteries for electric cars costing more than $20,000. More people say they've received huge natural gas bills. And some viewers say they're glad they got a second opinion after visiting the dentist. Feedback Friday is just ahead. Going to be a great weekend to get outside. A reminder that in many areas, the fall colors are now past peak, but you can still enjoy them and snap some photos. Speaking of which, Halloween is right around the corner, and we would love to see your pictures. Share on social media, and you could be featured in our newscast. Stay with us. Your weekend forecast is coming up, and we've got another great full night of shows for you right here on CTV. Returning to one of our top stories, Monday's election night. There will be a lot of people closely watching the race for mayor in Mississauga. But perhaps more because what it will mean for the future of the city and the region of Peel. CTV's Mike Walker joins us tonight to explain. Mike. Michelle and Nathan, one of the top issues we're hearing from voters is growth around City Hall. There's tons of condo development. But another issue that's sparking a lot of conversation among voters and candidates is a pitch by the incumbent mayoral candidate, Bonnie Crombie, to separate the city from Peel region. It's one of the largest cities in the country. and Mississauga population boom will only continue. An issue that is top of mind for business owner Louis Manzo. Doing that infrastructure is managed properly, transportation is managed properly, um, as well as our growth. That somebody's got an eye on what growth is going to do to our communities. At this coffee house in Port Credit, the growth issue is coupled with improving transit. People have a lot of questions as to how that's going to impact um, the traffic flow. And affordable housing, says this local realtor. Uh, kids moving back with their families. We see it a lot here. Issues mayoral candidates are hearing on the campaign trail. We're focused on development, bringing more affordable housing. Bonnie Crombie is seeking her third term as mayor and has renewed calls to separate Mississauga from the region of Peel. I think that by having a standalone independent city helps us not only control our own destiny, but saves a lot of money as well. Saying Mexit is about fairness and value for taxpayers. But I have to transfer out $85 million a year to municipalities like Brampton and Caledon for regional roads, for planning, and for policing. And that's money that should be reinvested back into Mississauga. There are seven other mayoral candidates. Derek Ramkinsoon supports the idea, but says it shouldn't be rushed. I would support it down the road, but I'll have to make sure we give them ample uh, notice to get things in place. His top priorities are tackling crime and taxes. We're going to put that money back in people's pocket, and that's what they want to do, because it's hard for people to really make ends meet. George Tavares doesn't support separation. Instead, he says the city should focus on transit and housing. There's no way we can do this financially without hurting the people of Mississauga or anybody in Peel. Political experts say it may be a long shot with a missed opportunity back in 2019. The uh, Ford government launched a regional government review in 2019. They were supposed to be looking at everything. People thought things would change. The government decided not to do it anyway. But voters believe there is merit. In my backyard is where I'd like to see our taxes go. It's probably one of the biggest cities in Canada. 
um, you know, sharing services and things like that maybe doesn't make, you know, that much sense. Regardless of who voters elect on Monday, separation requires the province's stamp of approval. Now, there are more than 491,000 eligible voters here in Mississauga. The city says just only 28,000 votes were casted at the advanced polls. Reporting live in Mississauga, Mike Walker, Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Mike. Natural gas prices have been rising steadily, and with a shortage of meter readers, some homeowners have been getting larger bills than they expected. Viewers were also surprised to know if you need a new battery for an electric or hybrid vehicle, they can be really expensive. Mm -hmm. Here's Pat Foran and Feedback Friday. Pat. Again, Nathan and Michelle, battery failure in electric vehicles is rare, but it does happen. If you have an older EV or you're thinking of buying a used one, if it's out of warranty, a new battery could cost you $20,000 or more. The Lau family bought an all-electric 2018 Kia Soul. When the battery died, they were told it would be about $23,000 to replace it. Ken Edwardson has a 2011 Lincoln MKZ Hybrid. The cost to replace his dead battery was estimated to be about $20,000. I wasn't expecting that kind of a price on uh, re replacing the battery in it. The EV industry says total battery failure is uncommon, but Chuck wrote, if battery failures are rare, why doesn't the manufacturer replace them? Spending $20,000 is no encouragement to switch to an electric vehicle. Ashmead Alley recently got his natural gas bill, and he was shocked when it was almost $2,000. Enbridge says some customers are getting higher gas bills because prices have gone up and they've been estimating bills. We don't have enough meter readers. Ed told us, after a lengthy period of estimated billing, I just got a $5,000 gas bill. Where have the meter readers been? <laughs> Going to the dentist can be expensive, and a recent survey found that 73% of patients never bother to get a second opinion on their dental work. Consumer Reports says sometimes you may want to. Some dentists may also pressure their patients to get more expensive treatments. Martley wrote, I had a dental emergency. When the dentist found out I had insurance, she said I needed all my teeth extracted. I got a second opinion and just needed a filling. Loblaws announced it's freezing pricing on its no-name items for the next three months. Some viewers say there is something else they would like the chain to address, volume discount pricing, making shoppers buy two, three, or four items in order to get a cheaper price. Diane told us, I live alone. Why do grocery stores force me to buy multiple items to get a lower price? It's not fair. And many stores use multi-purchase sales to try and sell more items, and it may benefit larger families, but some viewers who don't want to purchase several of the same things say it's a form of price discrimination. On your side, I'm Pat Foray. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. I can't believe it. It's 17 degrees and sunny in mm -hmm. the city on a Friday night in the latter half of October. This is more than you could want. It is really good. I mean, I had the air conditioning on earlier oh, today, so yeah. I, I wasn't expecting to do that. So that's a good sign. Well, good for you. You know how many people I came across today who had an extra pep in their step because mm -hmm. of how sunny it was outside? And this pattern is going to follow us into the weekend. You know how all week long we were trapped in a pattern of cool, cloudy and unsettled conditions? Well, now we're in a lengthy pattern of a different kind. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand 
it's hard to stop a train. Let's begin with a look at the satellite and radar imagery. Not much to show you here, and that is the whole point. High pressure is at play, and that means sunshine. Days of it, in fact. We've said goodbye to that area of low pressure that was bringing us those showers for days upon days. Let me set the forecast radar in motion here just to show you a whole lot of nothing, in fact, and that's the good news. Lots of sunshine this weekend if you're hoping to maybe rake some leaves or set up the Halloween decorations. Saturday looks great. Sunday does too. And I do have good news as well when it comes to Monday for Diwali and Election Day. We might see a little bit of fair weather cloud at times on Sunday, but that's it. Otherwise, a blue sky. Now, we did have a bit of a chilly start to the day today. The temperature in Toronto was right around freezing. It was below freezing in places like Waterloo, Peterborough, and Oshawa. We ended up climbing to a high of 17 degrees today here at Pearson International, and that's where we still are. A reminder that the seasonal average is about about 12 degrees, so we're warmer than that during the daytime hours. And look at tonight's evening forecast. We're eventually dropping to a low of 11. That's not so low. That's pretty mild for this time of year. And we're not the only ones. It's also quite comfortable tonight in Niagara Falls. Hamilton 10 is your forecast overnight low. A little bit cooler in places like Waterloo and Peterborough once again, but nothing like it was overnight last night or early this morning. Dare I say, patio weather for tomorrow in the GTA. The temperature could climb close to 20 degrees. Not bad again for the end of October. Lots of sunshine in the forecast as well. Let's take you through this seven day forecast and you will notice how we're in a bit of a pattern of a different kind. Lots of sunshine temperatures in the upper teens uh, really through until about the middle part of next week. It takes until about next Wednesday for us to see our next best chance of wet weather. And after that, we are seasonably cooler at around 13 degrees for Thursday. The million dollar bonus prize deadline in the Princess Margaret home lottery is midnight tonight. You can win a downtown Toronto condo, a pair of season tickets for the Leafs, Raptors and Toronto FC, plus a New York City escape and $100,000 cash. Your ticket is good for more than 25,000 prizes valued at over $20 million and that includes the $7.2 million grand prize featuring a show home in Oakville, a Jaguar I-Pace, a family vacation to Hawaii, plus $1 million cash. Also, a stunning $2.3 million grand prize in Prince Edward County and in Perry Sound, along with the world-famous $2.8 million early bird prize. There are also big cash prizes with the 50-50 jackpot and the cash calendar. Every ticket helps fund cancer research and new treatments at Princess Margaret Cancer Center, one of the top five cancer research centers in the world. Buy now at princessmargaretlotto.com. Nathan, I'll send it over to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Also tonight, he discovered his mother's body and was wrongfully convicted of her murder. A special W5 report looks at one man's fight for justice against his former best friend. This weekend, CTV's W5 investigates the wrongful conviction of a Newfoundland man, a story that began when he discovered his mother's body as a teenager. Greg Parsons was just 19 years old when he made this 911 call. She's up on the bathroom floor. Oh my God. Okay, is she breathing? Have you checked? I just peeked in the bathroom. There's blood everywhere. I don't know what happened. In a one hour special, W5 host and managing editor Avery Haynes documents how that discovery led to his conviction and a 10 year search for justice. And Avery Haynes joins us now to talk more about this report. Avery, you're 
outside of Newfoundland, most people don't know about Greg Parsons' wrongful conviction. Why was he considered a suspect? Well, yeah, this happened in 1991, and his name isn't up there amongst those who we know were wrongfully convicted in this country. Um, and it really was, as you heard from that 911 call that he made as a 19-year-old discovering his mother's body. In a matter of eight days, Nathan, he went from grieving son to charged with first-degree murder. Um, he, it was a case of uh, very clear when I was doing my investigating tunnel vision by police. He was convicted of the crime in a trial that, reading through the transcripts, it was there was no physical evidence. It was all hearsay evidence. They had dozens of witnesses come forward just to say, well, we didn't think that they had a good relationship. And he was convicted, mostly because of a song he wrote. Uh, he loved uh, heavy metal, and it was part of a band when he was, a uh, you know, 15, 16 years old, the group of guys got together and wrote a song, and the name of the song, Nathan, was Kill Your Parents. And the people I interviewed said when they were in the trial and saw the jury reaction to hearing that song being played, that they made the decision that this was a man, a young man, who carried out this song in real life. And so, you know, this initially for us was going to be a half-hour documentary. We've dedicated the full hour to this story because there are just so many uh, twists and turns and unbelievable pitfalls that happened along the way in this search for justice. He was cleared by DNA evidence seven years later. DNA also led to the real killer. Wow. Now, police eventually use an undercover sting to track down the real killer. Now, why is that controversial? Well, Mr. Big Sting, it's uh, outlawed in most parts of the world. Canada, it's called the Canadian technique because it was developed in British Columbia. But uh, they used this, uh, police used this undercover sting operation where they posed as a crime syndicate and they lured the real killer in um, and told him he needed to confess to something in order to prove that he had it in him to carry out more crimes for them. And so for the first time, Canadians will get a chance to watch that sting. We have the, the video of a uh, really extraordinary video of police pretending to be these mobsters interviewing this guy uh, while he says uh, to the camera, uh, unknowing that he was being recorded, that he uh, murdered this woman, that he uh, listened to her last breath and then climbed over her body and uh, took a shower. So why then is Greg Parsons concerned about public safety now? Well, and this is the thing. Um, uh, you'll, I'll leave you with a little bit of a, twe a little bit of a tease, Nathan, and that is we only have just found out. This is a crime that happened in 1991. Uh, we only found out in August a motive for this crime, and the connection that the killer Brian Doyle has to the family is also plays a role in in the new elements of this of this case. But in August, at a parole hearing, um, he revealed what the motive was, and Greg Parsons, the son, the wrongfully convicted son. Uh, says that this is proof that this man has not been rehabilitated, that he wasn't treated uh, properly, that he was given a, a, a you know, given uh, unfair ability to just sort of skate through the system. And he believes that once he's released, which could be in the next month or so, that uh, public safety is at definite risk. All right. W5 host and managing editor Avery Haynes, thank you. Thank you. And you can watch Avery's full report, The Murderer's Best Friend, tomorrow night at 7 on CTV. The Toronto Blue Jays have signed manager John Schneider to a three-year deal. Schneider took over the club in mid-July as interim manager, and he led the team to a wild-card berth. The Jays then 
lost two straight games to the Seattle Mariners at Rogers Center for a short-lived playoff run. Schneider has been with the Blue Jays his entire pro career, getting drafted by the team back in 2002, then moving up the coaching ranks starting in 2008. Stargazers in the GTA will want to keep their eyes on the skies overnight. A meteor shower is expected to peak today. It's caused by a trail of dust particles left behind from Halley's Comet. There will be about 20 meteors per hour at the height of the shower. Experts say you don't need a telescope or binoculars to view them, but getting 20 to 30 minutes outside the city will help cut down on light pollution. The best time to watch the show is at around 2 or 3 in the morning, as long as the sky is clear. And it should be. Catching a glimpse of Halley's Comet is rare, but those odds are nothing compared to winning a record lotto jackpot. Tonight, though, people across the GTA are rushing to get their numbers in the hopes of winning a record haul. Here's our Janice Golding with the story. The Busy Bee King Market was a buzz today. Right here. Here's the winner. People swarming to the lottery kiosk for their shot at $70 million. <laughs> I'd probably buy a small island. Get out of here immediately and avoid winter for the rest of my life. <laughs> I know my brother and I are talking about Africa. Kilimanjaro, maybe. I don't know. I don't think it'd stop. <laughs> I'd uh, set up all my family. And then uh, I tell each one of them, if you need another million, you got to find me because I'm out of here. I'm going on vacation for a long time and I'm buying a house and a Bronco. We've all dreamed big about what we'd do if we hit it big. Two Lotto Max plus one Encore. Okay. I want that in candy. <laughs> winning ticket, winning combination. But there has been no big winner for the Lotto Max jackpot in 19 draws, a historical milestone which marks the longest stretch ever. There are millions and millions of combinations for Lotto Max numbers. So uh, whoever has that lucky number, um, it may pop up tonight, but it hasn't yet. So it's been quite a while since we've seen a, a, a run this long. The last time someone won the Lotto Max jackpot was on August the 12th, the winner hailing from Western Canada. Tonight's draw has not only a $70 million jackpot, but $63 million Max Million prizes. Now, your odds of winning any of the Max Millions or the Big Jackpot are just 1 in 33 million. To put that into perspective, your odds of being hit by lightning are 1 in 114,000. Your chances of becoming a movie star, 1 in 1.2 million. So if the likelihood will strike it rich is so slim, why do so many of us keep playing the lottery? Because I'm a sucker like everybody else. <laughs> Janice Golding, CTV News. Taylor Swift fans were up late last night as the singer dropped her new album. It's me, hi, I'm the, problem, it's me. the release of Midnight's also came with a new music video for Swift's song Antihero. The Grammy winner says her 10th studio album tells the story of 13 sleepless nights in her own life. She also released seven additional tracks that didn't make it onto the main album. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. Updating our top story, Scarborough Councillor Cynthia Lai has passed away. This news comes just days before voters cast their ballots and Lai was seeking re-election. The councillor represented Ward 23, Scarborough North, and had an accomplished real estate career 
before entering politics. I felt that for me, I needed to put my boots on the ground and I had to put my money where my mouth was when it came to advocacy. Toronto's police service gained nearly 100 new members today. The officers joining the ranks at a graduation ceremony surrounded by their loved ones. In some cases, generations of police families share the moment together. <laughs> I probably buy a small island. People across the GTA are rushing to lottery kiosks. Tonight's Lotto Max draw has not only a $70 million jackpot, but $63 million Max Million prizes. There has been no winner for the Lotto Max jackpot for 19 draws, which marks the longest stretch ever. Monday will be a significant day for a lot of people in the GTA, but not only because of the election. It's also an important holiday for the South Asian community. CTV's Beth McDonnell reports on how many plan to juggle both. The spread of goodies is almost complete at Prem Suites in Brampton ahead of Monday, one of the most important South Asian religious and cultural celebrations on the calendar. Diwali is a festival of happiness. These days, just wear new clothes, they go to the temples, they share their happiness with their relatives by hugging them, by taking the blessings. But this year, Diwali falls on Municipal Election Day in Ontario, raising concerns about Hindus, Buddhists, Sikhs and Jains making it to the polls. A lot of people who typically would go vote after work also would be partic participating in Diwali celebrations which tend to be in the evening, festival lights. People will probably prioritize being with their families and loved ones, especially after two years of the COVID pandemic, um, rather than going out and voting at the polls. Indo-Caribbean Canadian Association Chair Ryan Singh says with the province being so diverse, the conflict should have been addressed. He says his group sent a letter to Ontario's Minister of Municipal Affairs asking for alternative dates after the 2007 provincial election was moved for another religious observance. It's systemic racism that there's an easy solution that the government can, 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 can fix it. We thought the government should be proactive, extending the voting period, having the election either the day after or the week after. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't hear a response from the minister's office. The province says advanced voting can begin 30 days before Election Day. The Municipal Elections Act sets out the date as the fourth Monday in October. So dharma is your religion, karma is you what you have to do. Ashwani Agarwal is concerned about Brampton issues. He runs a non-political group helping people. He says coordinating time to celebrate and vote will be a challenge for some, but... I think there are so many centres where we can go and vote. So it's just a minute walk away or a minute's drive to go and vote. So I don't think that there, is, there can be any issue. He'd like to see Diwali recognised as a holiday. New York City recently made it an official school holiday. But the political process is too important to miss. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. Just ahead, he's vying to become the youngest mayor in the province. Why an Oakville teen who's voting in his first election also decided to run. Few would argue being 19 is a tough age, especially 19-year-olds. But one Oakville teen is taking on a task that would be difficult at any age, running for mayor. Here's our Scott Lightfoot with his story. Are you going to be voting in the municipal election on Monday? Yep. Oh, that's awesome. On Monday, this Oakville teen will vote in his first ever municipal election. It'll also be the first time he's ever voted for himself. My name is, uh, is Jack Kuklik, um, and I'm running for mayor of Oakville. 
At just 19, Jack Kukulik would be the youngest mayor in the province. But that notoriety isn't what inspired him to run. I ran because I saw that in the last election only 37% of eligible Oakville voters voted. And of that 30%, uh, 37%, 82% of those aged 18 to 25 did not vote. Along with the issues, Kukulik's campaign has attempted to draw attention to the election itself. A lot of the questions I got surprised me. One of them was, how did you qualify at just 19 years old? Well, if you can vote, you can run. Through a Another series of TikTok me, videos, the teen has explained everything like from how to run to how to vote. To I think uh, having a younger candidate running uh, lets them see that uh, it's, it's not this uh, politics isn't this big, scary thing uh, that you necessarily just see on the news. Uh, it's an important process, and it's something that uh, you can get involved in. Kuklik is one of three candidates running for mayor in Oakville. For the other two, it's a rematch of the 2018 campaign with business leader Julia Hanna running against the incumbent, Rob Burton. Good involved. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for voting. Kuklik says the response to his campaign from older voters has been surprising. I've had a lot of adults uh, even come and tell me that they are in, involved in politics, they're interested in the federal and provincial levels, they vote in the federal and provincial levels, but up until this point they've kind of just ignored uh, the municipal uh, level. The Sheridan College student, who also runs his own photography videography business, says he hopes voter turnout will be higher on Monday than it was in the last municipal election. That's, that's my only goal, is just to try to get more people out. And he says win or lose, this is just the beginning of his involvement with the city he calls home. This uh, community isn't just shaped by the adults, it's, it's shaped by everyone. Um, and as I always say, elections are for everyone. So um, I want everyone to go out and make informed choices and just have a voice uh, in their community. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News, Oakville. All right, not bad for a 19-year-old. Mm -hmm. He makes back. some really great points. I think he'll get some younger people to vote. And you know what might help people vote? Nice weather coming up all weekend and on Election Day, which helps. Yes, they do say that good weather often increases voter turnout, and that would be a good thing in this case. Yeah, the nice weather continuing right through till Monday. This weekend, I think, though, looks picture perfect for heading to a pumpkin patch. We were live at Downey's Farm today on CTV News at noon, and I must say there are still tons of pumpkins available. And plenty to do with the family. Farms and patches right around the GTA, southern Ontario. I think they're going to be pretty busy in the coming days, especially with Halloween right around the corner. So here's a look at what you can expect weather-wise tomorrow if you are hoping to head to the farm or the patch. Loads of sunshine, warm temperatures, and again... That pattern is going to continue right through the early part of next week. We'll cool down a little bit by the end of the week, and you'll want the umbrella ready to go just in case for Wednesday. And a reminder, you could end Lotto Max's jackpot drought tonight, but, if you, but you need to get your tickets first. The big prize is $70 million with another 63 Max Million prizes, each worth $1 million. Good luck, Nathan and Michelle. Thank you, Lindsay, and be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a great weekend.